Hello and welcome to the podcast of TechEU. I am your host, Andrew Degeler, and today we are going to talk about Rocket Internet's retreat from the public markets, about the prospects of Tesla in Germany, about France helping out its tech startups, and much more. Later in the show, we will also play an interview with that uh, Robin Wouters, our editor, recorded with Laura Gonzalez Estefani, founder and CEO of the Venture City Fund. Now let me quickly bring you up to speed with a few news headlines and then we will look closer at the story of Rocket Internet abandoning the public markets in Europe. The biggest funding deal of the week, German credit marketplace Oxmoney has raised 150 million euros. The round was led by Center Bridge Partners, which is a private equity firm with offices in the UK and the US. Center Bridge itself has a history of taking majority stakes, and this is what it's doing this time as well. The deal is actually twofold. On one hand, Center Bridge makes a direct investment in Ox Money, and then on the other hand, it also buys shares from other existing investors. At the same time, Oxmoney noted in the announcement that its previous backers, Foundation Capital, Index Ventures, and Union Square Ventures, I quote, remain fully invested. The quote ends. Next up, France is going to spend 7 billion euros over the next two years on digital investments, TechRanch reports. The category includes startup investment, infrastructure investment, and digital transformation. The money is part of the 100 billion euro stimulus package that the government presented this week, and it's supposed to help the country to recover from the economic downturn. Now, France's digital minister Cédric O said that the digital sector gets more investment under this plan than any other, except the environmental sector. Let's look at the part that concerns directly the tech startups in France. Over the next couple of years, the country will dole 800 million euros as state aid to its startups. In addition to that, 2.5 billion euros will be invested in startups and local VCs within the next five years. So in this latter case, the French investment bank BPI France will act as a normal VC firm or as an LP if we are talking about funding the VCs. Now let's bounce back to Germany and talk about Tesla. Elon Musk has been to Berlin recently to meet lawmakers from the Christian Democratic Union, uh, aka CDU, and that is the party that uh, Angela Merkel is the leader of. According to a report by Yahoo Finance, I quote, Musk met Health Minister Jens Spahn, CDU faction leader Ralf Brinkhaus, and Economy Minister Peter Altmaier. He did not meet Merkel, who was also at the caucus day. The quote ends. The Economy Minister Altmaier told Musk that the German government, I quote again, will help in whatever way needed to get Tesla's Berlin plant up and running. The quote ends. He also said that, the quote begins, we are very proud of your car plant in Brandenburg and we wish you good luck with that. You will have every assistance you need. The quote ends. And that, that story on Yahoo Finance also mentions something that I did not uh, know about before. It turns out that Tesla is doing more in Germany than just building a gigafactory. It has a German subsidiary called Grohmann, uh, which is now building an RNA microfactory, whatever it is, for a company called CureVac that is working on a potential COVID-19 vaccine. Now let us move to the front page tech story of the week. German venture builder Rocket Internet is delisting its shares from the Frankfurt and Luxembourg stock exchanges. The company went public back in 2014 and was valued back then at 6.7 billion euros. Today, its valuation is down to just 2.6 billion euros. 
In case you're not familiar with Rocket Internet, it is a German-founded company that is best described as a startup generator or a venture builder. The general idea here is that it grows startups inside the organization, and all these startups, at least on early stages, share the back office facilities, like HR accounting, all sorts of admin stuff, and so on and so forth. That's the idea in theory. In practice, Rocket Internet is most widely known as a company that has taken a number of ideas of startups that took off in the US and quickly went on to create sort of copycats in other locations, mostly in Europe. The logic is simple but powerful here, of course. If you are good at execution, then the US player whose idea you took will most likely have to acquire the copycat in the expansion process. Or if they don't expand, then this copycat will just work on the chosen market and bring money. The company was co-founded by the Samware brothers, Oliver, Mark, and Alexander, and the Oliver Samware uh, holds the CEO position, and he seems to be the most involved out of the three. Some of the more successful and better-known companies that came out of Rocket Internet are, let's say, Delivery Hero and Zalando and HelloFresh, and also the e-commerce success Jumia, which was once called the Amazon of Africa. Now, as a side note, Jumia does not seem to be doing that well uh, these days, but anyways, Rocket Internet dumped its 11% stake in the company earlier this year, which brought it quite a bit of money. The successful bids weren't enough, however, for Rocket Internet to be successful as a public company. After six years of trading, Rocket Internet announced that it will go private once again. In doing this, Rocket kind of screws many of its shareholders, to which it now offers to buy their shares at 18.57 euros per pop, which is actually lower than the closing price on the day before the announcement was made. But why is Rocket even able to do it? That is because the Samware brothers own almost 50% of the company, mostly through its investment division called Global Founders Capital. So, although a virtual shareholder meeting will be held on September 24th, and there the brothers will have to ask shareholders to approve of the delisting, it's not likely to change anything at all. And after the delisting process is over, Samware actually plans to buy out the shareholders who don't share his last name. According to Bloomberg's Alex Webb, the company currently has 2.6 billion euros in cash, and it will use half of this amount to consolidate ownership of its stock in the Samware family. And by the way, if the number 2.6 billion euros sounds familiar, you are right. That is also the current market cap of Rocket Internet. The company is indeed valued at the amount of its cash holdings. The markets just don't seem to care that much about another 1 billion euros that is tied in the company's investments. All in all, it's not been a great quarter for the German tech ecosystem. First, we all witnessed the demise of Wirecard, now it is Rocket Internet, and both companies have been sort of poster children of the local ecosystem. So I hope there will be more of them to emerge, and the sooner the better. Now it is time for us to move on with today's agenda, so let me play you an interview that our editor Robin Wouters recently recorded with the founder and CEO of the Venture City Fund, Laura Gonzalez-Estefani. So hey, this is Robin Wouters from uh, Tech.eu, and I'm joined here remotely, of course, uh, by Laura from the Venture City. Laura, welcome to the show. Tell us a little bit about yourself. Thank you. I'm very excited about um, being part of this amazing community of crazy founders and entrepreneurs that you're building. So, so a little bit about myself. Uh, I'm 44 years old. I'm a mother of three and a dog. And um, I've been working in tech since 1998. I was, I'm not an engineer, but I am very ingenious. 
And uh, I happened to jump into the world of tech by accident. Um, just when I was uh, coming out of college, uh, the Z internet thing was starting in, and I was like, oh, cool, nobody knows more than I do here. So let's jump into it and let's learn as much as I can and let's see if I can build something amazing. I did try uh, with a few other uh, co-founders in 1999, but the dot-com bubble burst in 2000 and so did we with our first uh, display, it was called. We did a lot of things wrong, so many so many different things that we did wrong, but it was such an amazing uh, learning forever throughout my life. And uh, since then, I've been working for eBay in the early days in Europe, and then obviously Facebook when it was a still a startup, but we were still raising capital, which was it's a funny story. Yes, after almost uh, nine years in the company and uh, working from Europe for them, from Spain, but also in Silicon Valley and, and for Latin America and many other markets, I decided to go back to my original roots of building something for myself. And I was able to get an amazing team together. And uh, and hopefully we will make our dream and our mission come true in the, in the next uh, years to come. I am very passionate about... Uh, learning, but I was a terrible student. And uh, you will see that in my education, there's nothing super, super uh, outstanding or super, um, you know, fashion. But I've been all my life a very, very hard worker person. I enjoy and love to work with teams and to bring things from scratch into something tangible. And uh, that's a little bit about myself. Great. Well, I mean, in terms of your professional experience, that gives you sort of insights into joining two, I think, of the biggest internet companies of all time yes. uh, when they were still relatively small. So that gives you a lot of learnings, I'm sure. Uh, you also have the benefit of having worked in, in multiple regions, including uh, in California and the Bay Area, of course. Yes. Uh, so we're going to come back to that in a, in a minute. But before we do, uh, maybe a little bit uh, of explanation about what you're uh, doing now. What is the Venture City? Yes. So uh, let me let me tell you uh, just a, f- a few of the story. You know, when I was in San Francisco in Silicon Valley, I did realize that there was a huge opportunity because not always the best founders were getting the best support. Meaning that if you were born in the Bay Area, if most likely you went to Stanford University, all the VCs in the area and a lot of people would somehow help you a lot easier that if you are uh, born in Switzerland or in Spain and you are new to the Bay Area and you have an amazing business uh, project and, you know, you don't have the network, you don't have the validation, you don't have anything. And it's kind of like, whoa, this is a huge mistake because there are so many good founders that are coming from different places that, you know, that people here are not supporting because basically they don't know them. And that is how the Venture City started by, okay, I want to be able to help those people that are not coming from these traditional tech hubs or the most mature tech hubs, but they do have amazing ideas and they do have amazing uh, products already in place and they need someone to help them connect to the right people. So that's really the Venture City, right? We we are very international operator-led venture accelerator that it's really designed to make the global entrepreneurial ecosystem really diverse and and have access to fair capital, fair help, fair everything, right? You know, our dream would be that uh, there are venture cities and all the ecosystems that are popping up all over the world. 
which means that people can access the right people at the right time, the right capital at the right time, and so they can make huge impacts locally uh, where they are. Um, we have offices in San Francisco, Miami, Madrid, and we have also teams in San Paulo and uh, El Salvador. So we are basically almost 24 hours uh, working nonstop, and we have over 42 companies in the growth accelerator already, and 22 companies in the first fund, uh, the Venture City Fund 1, and uh, we are now in the works of the fund uh, 2. Okay. Well, you mentioned uh, a few things that I want to go back to. You mentioned you're a venture accelerator and you're a growth accelerator. Now, if you use those terms or, or startup accelerator and you use those terms in different parts of the world at different stages in different cities, exactly. everyone's going to have their own definition. So yes. um, maybe talk more about the, the actual model that, that drives the, the yes. company. And, and you're absolutely right, Robin. If anyone that is listening to us can help us define our model better i'm after what i'm going to share i'm more than happy to change whatever because we're not truly uh we're not truly as an accelerator per se so at the end of the day when we were talking to founders all over the world they were missing capital that understands what they're building they were missing understanding product-led growth which is not investing in marketing to be able to grow but investing in building the right product and taking the right data-driven decisions so that the product organically grows. Of course, at the end, you use marketing to accelerate that growth. But first, you need to build, you know, you need to see that your heart of the business is in good health, right? And they were also uh, missing connections with other hubs around the world because the Europeans tend to grow in Europe first, Americans tend to grow in the U.S. first, and Latin Americans tend to grow in their home countries first. But there was nobody that was able to tell them, look, the product you're building in Mexico makes a lot of sense in Texas. And the product that you're building out of Miami makes a lot of sense as well in Madrid. So the core of our program is more around product-led growth strategies. Uh, we have seen that uh, there are programs that are super successful helping companies in the in getting customers into the more the commercial side. Other programs are based into the fundraising. We're truly based in the foundation of the company, which is their data-driven platform that helps them build the right products, targeting the right audience, that is the right at the right scale because they have the right engineering foundation. So that kind of product and growth um, in mindset is is what we're really good at. All of us from our team have worked for top tier companies all over the world when they were startups. So we have seen how our companies have grown from, you know, five million to billions of of people. Most of us, we have people from WhatsApp in our team from the early days, from Instagram, Pinterest, Facebook, etc., and all of them from different regions around the world. So our really, really core is foundational into making sure that when you leave the program after five months, you know what are the levers that you have to push to be growing organically in different markets all over the world. That is really, really what defines us. It's not that we don't touch on fundraising tactics. 
in understanding the behind the scenes, the investors, in culture and building the right team to retain the right people and to hire the right people. We do too. But really, really what defines us is understanding your quick ratio metrics, your retention rates, your cohorts in the 90, 120 days, et cetera, and your subscription pricing elasticity, for example. That is really, really what defines what we do. And we are not in a one-to-many. We do more in a one-on-one. We build squads so that, and this is why we don't have 10, 20, 50 companies joining. We have only 40 companies the full year, and we do small, you know, and as they join, we keep working with them in different moments. So it's a rolling basis kind of program. And is it is it physical? Like, do the companies actually have to enter into a program and go to a certain location for a limited time, and and then you give them, you know, both capital and mentorship and and sort of advice on how to scale? Is that how it works? We've been uh, remote from day one. I've been enjoying working remotely from the different companies I've worked for, and we didn't really care if there's a founder in the middle of the Alps that is building something amazing from there being tremendously capital efficient because he is in the middle of of nowhere and it's not in one of the most expensive tech hubs in the world, right? Or if you are in Angola and a Spanish founder building something from Angola that serves emerging markets in some other places of the world, or if you're in Brazil or in the middle of the Alentejo in Portugal, right? So that for us uh, has been a key thing from the very beginning and precisely because of that, We have such a footprint because we think it is a very costly for founders when they have to leave the places where they are building uh, with, again, being tremendously capital efficient to move into a big city like Madrid or Miami or San Francisco or Sao Paulo with the cost that that entitles. So we don't require that before covid we did recommend it at least to join us for a, for a week every uh, two months or every uh, six weeks so that the, 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 personal plea, the personal piece of getting together with a team that you're working with, you know, so that you establish the right level of relationship. But it is not mandatory. It was not three years ago. It is not today. It is tremendously capital efficient. And um, we are planning to keep being this way. In fact, I will tell you one thing. In the demo days that we have organized a month and a half ago, the fact that we did it virtually, it we got the number of investors that attended from all over Europe. I think that in the European uh, demo day that we did, it was over 160 investors. And this is something that we had never seen before, because normally if you tell them you have to come to Madrid, you need to take a plane, get a... Madrid is always fun to come, right? But still, it's for the investors, it's also more expensive and it takes a lot of time. So we did this uh, virtually and we got... It was the first demo day that we organized and it was very successful. And in, and in the case of the one that we organized in the US, I think it was around 180 investors too that didn't have to move to San Francisco, down to San Francisco or Miami. So honestly, I think that this has been a tremendous, uh, a good uh, learning for us. 
Great. Well, that's um, I understand in terms of your operations, uh, that's quite uh, useful to already have that remote um, sort of a way of working even even before it was necessary. Um, but uh, just to go back to the model a little bit, um, do you actually take uh, equity in the startups that you work with? Uh, how much do you take? Do you provide follow-on funding? Like, how does it actually work? Yes. So when we were looking into all the different uh, programs around the world that are doing extraordinary that are, are identifying extraordinary companies and working with extraordinary founders and talking to the founders and talking to them we have really good relationships with all the other accelerators uh, we learned that somehow all of them had a very fixed uh, or they were venture studios that were taking on average of 50 percent which is amazing because they help their companies with a lot of different things, but they take 50%, which for fundraising, we were hearing from the founders that then it makes it a little bit more difficult when the founders don't own the vast majority of the company in such early stages. And then uh, we were talking to other models where they take 6%, 8%, 10%. It really depends. Um, and there are opinions for both. We were very clear on one thing. We're not going to be working with hundreds of companies. That's not what we want to do. We want to work with a maximum of 40 companies a year. And again, telling you I have four offices around the world. So 40 companies a year is like working with 10 companies per office a year. It's not very much. The programs are five months, fully time, dedicated. It's not mentorship. We don't do mentorship. We build together with them. It's like becoming the same team. And we said, look, if we are able to get the best founders, they won't, even even though the level of support and the level of commitment that we work with them and we give them 100K to start, they won't give us more than 6%. So the way that I was thinking about it is when you get a super extraordinary board member or advisor in a startup in San Francisco, you normally give them 2% over the life of it depends one year, two years. It depends what you negotiate. In our case, we are not advising. We are co-building with them. We have a team of over 35 people. and We have engineers and we have data scientists and we have product specialists in the house. So it's not mentors. They are in the house. But if we really want to work with extraordinary founders, they need to see the value that we bring as a team. And we thought that it was fair to think that 6%, it's the right way to go. There are in our model of the, the intensity that we have in our model, companies take a, or venture builders take even more, a lot more than that. But we said less founders, a ton of value, 6%. If those companies are going to become unicorns, it's not a matter, you know, of course, I would love to have 15 or 20 percent, but I really want them to choose me because otherwise, if I ask for more, they won't be able to choose me. Um, so this is why we did it. And do we follow on? This, is, this has been a tremendous uh, learning for us. In the first place, we were not following on on all the companies that come through the program, but we do have a venture capital, which you know, somehow serves as for those companies that are being outliers and that are doing outstanding uh, from the accelerator, we can invest, right? But we have been three years in the market and through the fund, we have only invested, I think, in six, eight companies to date out of the 40 
uh, out of the 42, but the fund is closed. So now until we don't raise fund two, it's harder for us to invest uh, following on through the companies uh, that we have uh, uh, through the vehicle of the fund, right? So the accelerator serves as a feeder for the funds or the sister VC network that we have when we can't follow on because we don't have the capital. But the learning has been that we have decided to start working on a on an investors club that we are hopefully going to be launching uh, at the end of this year. That is going to be angel because this is happening naturally. A lot of angel investors and other micro VCs and angel networks are investing in the venture city companies. So we said, wow, if they are investing, why don't we do it a lot easier for them? And we structure like a this kind of like angel, like a syndicate for them so that they somehow uh, more like a v investors club more than a syndicate so that they can follow on in the companies that are coming out to the venture city. But this is very new. As I said, we've been only three years in market and we really wanted to get the feedback from the investors and the founders to see what makes sense for us for the next uh, three years. Great. Well, can you talk a little bit about uh, some of the success stories uh, so far in the portfolio and then mostly in Europe, I would say? Yes. Yeah, so... Of course, we are so proud of, of Tony Cap, uh, Daniela Sheitzas. She's a found female founder. She's a doctor based in Porto, and she's building this communication platform for doctors. Uh, she's amazing, and she's relentless, and she's tremendously disciplined, I guess, like every other doctor. And, and it's amazing to see a doctor living what they do, uh, like, you know, so vocational, doing that to build something that is going to help doctors scale and be even better doctors. We have one fertility, also female founders uh, that are based in Madrid, but uh, Laurence is from Belgium and Clelia is from Honduras. And this is, uh, it started as a, as a fertility platform uh, for those couples that had trouble getting uh, pregnant, but it has expanded into women's health and they have just raised a big round with other investors in Europe. And, and, and she used to be my boss, by the way, Laurence at, face, at, at eBay. So it's amazing to see how the energy of people that works in good company, in big companies that go back to the ecosystem and build, and then how other members of their team end up investing. So it's been very interesting. You have an amazing gaming company in Madrid, Dixper, that is building a platform that is growing exponentially, literally exponentially and it's three founders technical founders that are now um growing super fast out of madrid they they even mayo built another company before co-founded another company that they sold to facebook and now in this new startup they are uh in in the streaming world where you know you can challenge and get skills and it's super cool super cool out of madrid uh we have another amazing company in uh, Switzerland and it's called Midfox in, oh, sorry, Austria. Uh, it, well, honestly, one of the founders is in New York and the other one is in Austria. And these are also a, a women founders um, and they are helping monetize a video conferencing and all these things for all these professionals that now, even before, uh, we're uh, into the remote world. Now they're growing super fast, as you can imagine, but they're amazing. So we have amazing stories uh, of women founders, but also of male founders like Dixper, Reloadly, based in Barcelona. This is a funny one because these are Americans 
that moved to Barcelona to build this API for top apps for is more in the telco world and they're working with the biggest telcos all over the world. And we were very lucky to be uh, to have them join us in in the venture city. You know, all our founders choose us. They so I have something that we always say that we love to work with founders that choose the capital and the and the brain power and not when the capital chooses a founder. I think there's a very big difference there. Yeah, you you mentioned women founders uh, a few times. Is that very important to you to build like a very diverse, um, you know, gender diverse, but also in other terms, a very inclusive uh, portfolio of founders? So I dream with a day that we don't have to talk about diversity anymore. And I dream with a day when we don't talk about diversity and we start to talk about inclusion which is a completely different thing. We are, in our team, we are over 40% women. We are both, uh, myself and my co-founder, Clara, we are women, both in our 40s, both we are mothers, both in our respective industries have, you know, gone through the ups and downs of being the only woman in the room. It is extremely important for us, but we are never choosing the companies that we are investing because they're women or not. We're choosing them because they're extraordinary, talented founders that are tackling big problems that go beyond the original frontiers where they started. I want to clarify this because I hate the the world of quotas. I don't stand it. I don't support it. I just think about if I am able, I have been able throughout my whole career since my first company, to work with a woman, with amazing women, how come there's so many people out there that don't find women to hire? You know. So again, I sorry if I'm being very direct, but there's extraordinary women and men all over the place, and I happen to have to be to have the opportunity to work with many of them and to invest in many of them. But I didn't choose them because of their gender. I chose them because they're extraordinary, and I keep learning every day from them. Great. Um, so what what is the venture city going to look like, let's say next year or for the next uh, three years? What do you what do you want to achieve in the next few years? So much. I need I need you know one of the jokes that I say internally in in the team is that I need to be able to reach 150 years because there is so much I have in my head that I don't have time. But basically, in the next year, the next year is going. This year is being the year of 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 of. How would I say learning? I don't know. There's so much uh, in, you know, inside of these challenging times, there's so much opportunity, right? So this year, the program, the total companies, we, we're going to have new 40 companies, four zero into the program globally. That means that we will reach the number of 68 companies in total that may have been through the Venture City program. At the same time, a fund one that is closed already. Hopefully, we're going to be seeing a, a lot of, there's three serious C's on the works of companies that we invested in their serious seed and A's. So we are very, very excited about those two. And we're learning a lot. And the founders from the Seed Accelerator learn a lot from their founders in the, in the companies that are growing that fast. We are going to be, we will do the first closing of the fund one which we originally planned it for June. And then obviously because of the situation we are now, we have postponed it for December. So the message here for the founders that are hearing us is that 
as venture capitals, we understand the hurdles, how hard it is to raise capital in these situations too. And we hear you and we support you and we will all get the capital that we need to really keep building. So Fund 2 will be uh, have their first uh, closing at the end of the year. In total, we will be almost 100 companies in the accelerator, which for us is amazing because of level of learnings and because of everything. Team-wise, we're going to be growing in four or five people uh, this year. In fact, we're looking for a data a scientist right now in the European office, in office, if we call it office, in the European space for the for the for the time zone, basically. And I think that uh, we won't be doing anything different because right now, again, we are we are founders, not only investors, right? And so we are testing and learning, getting the feedback from the different companies that come through our program. So there are no changes expected into the into the framework of our program to date. We will be writing a lot more about metrics and what really makes companies great. We will be writing a lot about network effects. We will be doing a lot of community events. We do at least one community event every week in each of the offices. So we will keep on giving back to the community in that way. But there are no major changes expected this year. Great. Thank you so much for outlining uh, the strategy uh, to come and uh, also for explaining how the model works and talking more about Venture City. Uh, this is all the time we have. Laura, thank you so much for joining us and, and taking the time uh, to explain a bit more. And uh, yeah, we'll be happy to see, uh, see the Venture City grow in the future. Thank you. And thank you everyone for listening to you and therefore to us. And this is it for our today's episode. Thank you so much for listening. I do hope that you enjoyed the show. Please help us spread the word. Tell a friend or colleague about this podcast and follow our updates on Twitter at tech underscore EU. Audio engineering for this podcast is done by SoundPulse, that is sound-pulse.com. Please feel free to email us with any questions, suggestions, and opinions at podcast at techEU. I am going to talk to you next Monday. In the meantime, enjoy your week and take care. Bye-bye.